Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Anthony Malakian, U.S. editor of Waters. As always, James Rundle, uh, news editor at uh, Waters. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, starting well. Yes, starting well. Fair enough. Well, fortunately, you're not going to have to hear from me that much uh, on this podcast as James uh, called up our editor-in-chief, Victor Anderson, in London to discuss the acquisition of Temenos and... You can get there. Videsa. Yeah. Yes. There we go. I knew I would get it. Yeah. It's almost time for a beer, Tony. Yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to go into just kind of explore some of the, you know, some in, 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 potential impact from the acquisition and... Um, yeah, um, I haven't listened to it yet, so I have no idea. Maybe James, yeah. you can give a little bit, you know, better. Like, a few little anecdotes, including about one financial technology executive who ended up on top of the pops once. So top of the pops. Top of the pops. Yeah, it's like what UK, like the singles chart, the UK they used to oh. show where the bands are coming perform. Um, it's called the top of the pops. Okay. And a fintech executive was once on there. You might recognise, but we talk about that. Okay. Stay well, stay, t- stay tuned for that. Um, before we get into that, um, shut up. Stop saying, oh, my God, I really work on this. I should not be leading the podcast, basically, is what we're finding out. No, here. listen, I'm not going to do it, so that, yeah. who else is going to do this? 110 of these, and it's just like, God, got to get some professionals in here. <laughs> um, March 2nd, SST Awards. So we've extended the deadline um, to March 2nd. That will not be extended again. That's the final deadline. So get your submissions in. Uh, right away, you know, this week coming up if you haven't already. Uh, it's next Friday. Uh, March second sounds like a long way away until you realise February has twenty eight days and it's mm-hmm. actually sort of you know, good point. Yeah, yeah. next Friday. Uh, also, James will be at FIA Boca, which is when? Uh, I'll be down from Tuesday the thirteenth through to the Friday. So, okay. um, yeah, if anyone wants to meet or um, has an invitation to the SGX cigar party, I'd be more than happy to take hint, up on it. Hint, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I need James to go with that just so he can smuggle me back a couple of those cigars <laughs> since I'm not going down this year. So, yeah, so that's uh, what we got on our agenda right now. But before we get to anything else, let's listen to Victor and James discuss the Temenos Fidesa merger. Okay. So with me on the line, I have Victor Anderson, Editor-in-Chief of Waters. Victor, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You're always welcome. Um, so big news for uh, Fidesa and Temenos. Um, you know, we wrote a couple of stories yesterday. Uh, your column, I thought, in particular, was very insightful. So I guess what I want to discuss really is um, what does this mean, really, this deal? We've had a couple of bumper ones so far. We've had Blackstone and Thomson Reuters. We've had DST Global and SS&C. Now we have Fidesa and, and Temenos. Um, you know, these are big, chunky deals. So so what do you mm. think it really means for the for the fintech sector? Um, I used to be surprised, to be honest, when, um, uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago, I was surprised when, you know, companies bought other companies. Um, But over the years, you've become kind of slightly immune to it because you realize that actually all that's, this is what happens. This is the industry, the industries at work. And, you know, big companies buy other companies and there's a reason for it. And I think Bill Stone, when you know, whenever he goes on the record, he makes no bones about the fact that he is buying um, a revenue stream. Mm. That's what SNC, SSNC has uh, has been particularly successful in doing. 
And there's a reason for these things. There's a reason why these things happen. There's a reason why Temenos wants um, Fidesa. And there's a reason why Fidesa accepts the um, uh, the advances. So um, the the reason why Temenos wants Fidesa is because Fidesa is a, is a properly good, solid. It's got um, a technology provider. It's got great products. It's got a fantastic reputation, especially here in the UK. But also, it's got a, you know, it's got a fairly strong um, uh, pipeline in the US as well. Um, and it's been around for a while, and it's profitable, and it's going to bed down nicely in the Temenos um, stable. And so Temenos is happy with that, you know. What does it mean for Fidesa? Well, um, I think just speaking to one or two people who um, know the company very well, Fidesa kind of got to a point where, um, and I think this is a, a common theme across all, all um, technology firms, you get to the point where you kind of you get to the end of a kind of a growth cycle and you do one of two things you either stagnate mm. or you kick on to the next level and I, and I think Fidesa had got to the end of a kind of a growth cycle and it wasn't going to kick on i think i think everybody within the organization was kind of was tired of growing the business and stuff and it needed to kick on to the next level and the best way to do that is to um is to accept um, uh, a, a buyout from another organization. It happened with a really good example. Well, there are a couple of really good examples. The, um, probably the best, well, the, the two best, I think, have been um, Cadis, which was sold to IHS Market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking to Stuart Plain and, um, and Dan Simpson, they, you know, you, you get tired of, of growing companies. You get tired of getting on airplanes. You get tired of, of that constant struggle and they got to the point where they were the business was up and running it was extremely successful it was very lucrative and they just wanted you know just to to hand it off you know they, they, so they handed it on the baton and they obviously uh, did very well it was a it was a huge deal and the other one you know is Bysam and Bysam were exactly the in exactly the same situation Bysam went to Factset and of course, um, uh, you know the, the other, you know, ISS market has, has also picked up uh, Thinkfolio, and Thinkfolio was exactly the same. They kind of they conquered the UK, but in order to go to become a kind of a global player, Thinkfolio needed ISS market, and ISS market was very happy because Thinkfolio wash, um, was washing its own face in terms of, um, you know, it was a it was a, a, a properly good business in its own right. Mm -hmm. So everybody wins. And this is another case of that. And but but it's not it's not a case of Temenos picking up Fidesa at a at a you know knocked off price because Fidesa was unfashionable and had become old and frumpy and and a bit kind of unloved. Mm. You know, Fidesa is a properly good technology firm, but I just think in order for it to kick on to the next level, it it needed much deeper pockets. It needed more. Um, it needed fresh input and, and new blood and excitement and all that stuff that goes with these, um, these acquisitions. And so um, it's, 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 it's bad to lose another technology firm, but that's what happens in the industry. But it's good because I think it's probably gone to a good, um, a good provider and there's not too much um, overlap in terms of the, the, the offerings from what I can see.
Mm. So I think it's a fairly, it's a good complementary fit. That's yeah, my it was, take. It was interesting. I mean, I, I spoke to a couple of investment bankers yesterday who have worked on similar deals for similar companies, and they say, you know, pretty much what you just said actually that you know, with vendors like Fidesa who are specialists in the the OMS space, um, in the compliance space. There's only so far you can go before you need to either diversify your business lines um, or move into something else entirely or become part of a bigger group or or your IPO, I guess. But Finesse kind of already did that you know, back in the day. So it's yeah. uh, kind of an interesting um, yeah. – but I thought Temenos in particular was an interesting acquirer. Though. I mean, you know, they're very, very big in core banking. They're huge in that yeah. space. Uh, I think they're 41 of the top 50 financial institutions are on their books or something. But they haven't, and they do some stuff in risk, and they do some stuff in compliance as well. But they haven't right. really had this um, front office kind of, you know, trading technology focus before. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, uh, how do you yeah. see that fitting in with Felissa? Well, I, I, like I said, I don't think that, I don't I don't think there's a huge amount of crossover, which is I think one of the really I think it's really important when you when you're looking to acquire another business. You don't want to, you know, you, you, unless you're SS and C that now owns like three or four different accounting platforms Everything. and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> that, that, that obviously makes sense for them. I, I, I really don't understand the, 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 the practicalities behind it. But you don't want to duplicate your efforts. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and so you're absolutely right. You know, um, Timonel is very strong in core banking. Um, but, but, but um, you know, Fidesa is more than just a kind of a, a you know, a, a front office player. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more than just a buy side um, uh, a tech vendor, you know, the Fidesa, it, it, when it was Royal Blue, and then it, uh, you know, Fidesa was actually a product name that the company was Royal Blue, Fidesa was an offering, and then they, a little bit like Cadis, um, you know, that was Citadel Associates, and Cadis was a product, and then they rebranded the company Cadis, and, and Fidesa was exactly the same. But Fidesa has a very strong sell side um, uh, following too. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's trading network, for example, is, you know, it, 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 it has deep, deep roots in the sell side and, and has deep reach there. And, and so, so what, what I, I think, um, so Temenos gets a, a really, uh, you know, a, a very focused, very mature, sophisticated capital markets technology firm in Fidesa. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets an immediate um, reach you know, into the buy side, which, you know, is very lucrative for, um, for a lot of firms. Um, and um, as you mentioned, you know, you've got the OMS, you've got the uh, um, compliance platform, the, um, what is it, uh, Sentinel, um, and Minerva's the OMS, or those were the original names, whatever, they, they've been re- rebranded now as a kind of all singing or dancing front office platform. So confusing trying to keep tabs on all the all the names and the branding and stuff I, I thought one of the things that actually um, I, I'm particularly enjoyed about Leighton Zero before it became part of Fidesa was I thought their brand names were superb I thought I think Sentinel is a perfect um, name for a, a compliance platform I think Minerva um, is is brilliant for for an OMS and front office platform and then they also had Tesseract as well and Capstone was a kind of um, was the um, the integrated uh, front office platform. So I, I just thought their product names were absolutely brilliant. And um, it's one of the things that I, I remember about the, the company from my, I think back in 2002, I think I had lunch with Richard Jones um, in London. And that was my first um, interaction with Leighton Zero. And I remember, I remember the product names particularly well.
That was when. Um, uh, do, you, do you remember? Do you remember Mel Smith, Melanie Smith, yeah, yeah. who used to do their um, their marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, from a, she was Australian, but she married an Englishman. She went. I remember the, uh, you know, a, a number of years ago. She went back to Australia to visit her parents, and then couldn't get back into the UK for some reason. <laughs> they wouldn't. I don't think they believe. That's right. I don't think she changed her name or something. It was some weird thing, and the and the authorities, they wouldn't allow her back into the UK. And she spent like three or four months, kind of. I think in Australia or something, they deported her because they didn't believe that she'd actually married an Englishman. And anyway, I just remember, um, you know, one of those, those idiosyncrasies of, uh, of the British, um, um, whatever, the, uh, the, the passport control people um, yeah. just kind of clamping down. And Paul Mel Smith was on the wrong side of that clamp and was sent back to Australia, I think. Well, I think this, this kind of ties in nicely to my next point, which is that, you know, Finesse has such a heritage in uh, in British fintech, in, in the London city fintech scene in particular. You know, it's, it's very well known. Yeah. A lot of these stories permeate throughout sort of, you know, all investment banks and trading firms. Everyone knows Finesse. Everyone knows, yeah. um, you know, people who used to work there, whether it's Robin Strong and Simon Barnaby or people who do work there now, such as Steve Grob, Chris Aspinwall, you know, um, all famous yes. people. Is there a risk yes. that this kind of disappears into the wider Temenos brand and they lose that kind of um, that finesse like heritage? I mean, one of the things you mentioned in your um, in your column, which I really liked, was that you know perception mm. and and uh, what people think of a brand is just as important in many ways, regardless of what actually is the truth. It's kind of what they think which really forms their opinion of it. So, is there a risk that that is the, the, people's perceptions? That's one of the first things you learn about marketing. People's perceptions are their realities. Mm. That. that if the way someone sees the world, that is the world to them. It's not about it's not about that's their take on it. That is reality for them. And um, a really good example of that is DST. Um, you know, when Mike Wynn was at DST, um, in what was it called then? DST. I think it was just called DST Solutions or something. Anyway, um, you know, um, he was the the kind of the lifeblood of the of the company and they had some really good people i, I remember steve chang was there and, and, yeah. and a number of others um steve chang is now at um rhymes technologies but um you know him he he left along with his boss hoss um v8 a five liter v8 motorbike and his clogs which he used to wear in the office seriously he used to wear clogs <laughs> in the office he was quite eccentric but he was he was the lifeblood of that company he left the company and 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 it and the company lost a huge amount, and you're absolutely right. So what happens with um, so Fidesa, um Robin Strong arrived at Fidesa from Leighton Zero. So there were a couple of people at Leighton Zero. There was Richard Jones, who was the chief executive, who was charismatic, and I mean there are all sorts of stories about about his the very passionate way in which he ran the company to the extent that it, he there were kind of um, stories going around the city that um, that he'd had he kind of accosted portfolio managers or heads of IT or something for not uh, implementing um, Leighton Zero and, and they'd instead gone with Charles River. Whether you want to believe that or not is another story altogether. But I've heard that from a number of different sources. But um, so he he was he was a very strong personality at Leighton Zero. And then there was Robin Strong and Robin. Um, is as you know is 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 eloquent he's articulate he's very intelligent he's well connected he's affable he he's the perfect guy to be your brand ambas- ambassador mm-hmm. richard jones went off and um he he left the company when Leighton zero was acquired by um by fidesa 
And then Robin Strong kind of headed up sales at Fidesa, but was on the buy side. And he was Mr. Buy Side. Mm -hmm. And he, for whatever, I've heard a number of different stories, but he left Fidesa. And I was very surprised when he left. Um, But he left Fidesa. And I don't think, and Fidesa's kind of presence just almost died overnight. It fell off a cliff because he was no longer there. And the other person who was like it was um, um, was Simon Barnby, mm-hmm. who'd, who'd been at Royal Blue all those years ago, and then became Fidesa and was was um, you know high up in Fidesa. And both those guys left, and I don't think they were replaced, um, although they weren't properly replaced. And so going back to your original point, uh, is there a is there a chance that Fidesa will just be absorbed into this monster and and it would lose a lot of its visibility and that kind of that Fidesa culture? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one thing that you lose, and it's almost impossible to it, it, you cannot retain it because you're no longer Fidesa. You are now part of Temenos, and um, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it with you know our acquisition with Risk Waters when we were acquired by. Incisive media, something, uh, our identity, something changed. And it's changed again. Now that we're part of Infopro Digital, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I'm saying it's just different. And um, I, would, I, would, I would probably go a step further and say it, it, it's potentially a bad thing for Fidesa that it, it loses its identity because people, you know, this is more than just technology. This is, this is, a, this is about a brand. And, and people identify emotionally with brands and so people in the city in in london and also new york to a certain extent they identify quite strongly with the fidesa brand and you can't you know the we're emotional beings we're emotional animals and we like to it makes us feel comfortable when we're dealing with stuff that we understand and brands are one of those things and you you're going to lose that and but and i don't think there's any way to retain it so Yes, I think there is a um, a risk of that, and I think the risk. I think it's inevitable. And just for a final question, Victor, um, you know, in the wider kind of fintech landscape, um, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of consolidation among vendors. So you, and now you have uh, you know Portware being bought by Faxet and and by Sam as well. Um, you know, yep. a lot of people sort of SS and C hoovering up every fund admin in sight and and various other buy side firms. And um, yeah, you know, you're starting to get these kind of monolithic players who are controlling aspects of the market. And then you're also on the other side having all the VC capital going into the smaller fintech firms. Um, you mm. know, I was, I was reminded quite sharply last night by uh, by Matt Gill, the CEO of Torstone, that there are still some smaller players left in the middle. But um, yeah. do you see it as being um, as just being a function of the market that it grew to the point where firms are consolidating and it will relax again, or do you think that this is now a change in the structure where you're going to have these big companies and and these smaller companies and there's not much left in the middle? I think um, I, I don't think you could, I don't think I think the market has changed. Um, and I think it's inevitable. I think it's the sign of a maturing marketplace. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the kind of life cycle of, of, of any market, you get a market is kind of in its nascent. Um, you get all these kind of small bit players who try their luck and, and then there's a kind of a clean out and those that provide value, they hang around and the others go to the wall. Um, and then you get a kind of second round of consolidation where, um, uh, you know, the, the, the bigger players eat up the smaller players and then you get and then kind of you know you might get another shakeout and then you get further consolidation and that's it's a it's a natural consequence of of what happens in marketplaces and so that's what's happening in this marketplace 
yes, there's um, there are still some um, some independent players and some that offer a huge amount of value to organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the value that you get from an independent player is I think you they are still small enough to really, really care about you as a as a as a, a an end user. Mm-hmm. You can ask them. You, there's a certain amount of of um, leverage that you can use in order to get some sort of you know to 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 get that relationship as close as possible, and also to you get a certain amount of input into the technology that you're gonna that you're consuming. Whereas if you're a very, very large organization, I think the chances of you as an end user getting that sort of clout, I think is far less. But what you, you know, you do score, you know, what you lose on the, um, on the swings, you gain in the roundabouts. And what you get from very large organizations is, um, you know, firstly, that they're gonna be around in 10 years time. Mm-hmm. They might look different, like they might be part of S's and C. So with a case of let's say Advent, but you know that ultimately the core Advent products are going to be you know around in a number of years' time, um, and that's quite comforting as a C- from a CIO. Sure. Um, you know that a huge you know um, SSNC is is very open about the fact that it spends a huge amount on R and D, and that's something that's quite comforting too. Mm. You also know that ultimately you can probably as a small buy side player, you can probably go to SSC and get every little bit of technology that you could possibly want, including fund admin services and various other things. And that's quite nice too, because chances are you might get reduced um, fees or costs because you're getting from a, you know, you're basically going into a Tesco or a Walmart and you're getting all your stuff. So you want to build a house, go to Walmart and just buy everything. And it'll probably be cheaper than if you went to various boutiques to buy your nails or cement or bricks or whatever the case may be. So there's definitely a case for it. Um, but the, the market has changed, James, for sure it has. And um, it is a shame that we do miss, we will, you know, we, we will miss these names, but there's nothing we can do about it. You know, it's kind of, that's just, that's just the way it is. That's life. Um, but but you mentioned also that you know that what's going on in the fintech landscape as well, and um, you know that's that's really interesting. Um, and you know this that's a kind of a weird scenario where you've got this kind of it's almost like a cottage industry of little tech firms. They're all trying to find their, their little place in the sun, and you've got VC money being thrown at them. And you know the reality is though that 80 to 90 percent of them are going to fail anyway. That's the statistic. And those that um, do get out of the valley of death, um, they'll go on and pro- almost certainly be acquired um, by a bank or maybe even fully acquired by a venture capitalist firm. Or um, and um, it, it's almost like a, a kind of a a petri dish of um, of little tech firms and um, and all this kind of stuff is happening and you know a lot of the stuff in the petri dish is going to die but but some of it won't and that that stuff is 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 potentially very valuable mm-hmm. um, but you know it's I, I don't know whether I'd like to be in that industry right now to be honest because the failure rate is extremely high yeah. but having said that you know a lot of these guys a lot of the guys who ultimately 
do come through and, and found these companies and, and go on to success, those guys have failed like half a dozen times anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got it wrong and they've learned and they've pivoted and gone back and tried again and tried again and tried again and eventually it sticks. And, but that's, you know, that's what happens in the, in the, um, in the kind of startup industry. Yeah, um, very few startups actually happen or um, find uh, some sort of uh, traction um, on the, on, you know, initially failure is a, is an important part of success, I think in that industry. Interesting. Other way, interesting times mm. ahead, I think. Um, so Victor, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll know I just want to, can I, can I just say one thing? I tell you what, the one, just before I, I leave you and I know that, yeah. um, our readers quite enjoy the odd anecdotes, um, about tech firms and stuff. And yeah. I, I remember you were with me, James. I think it was actually sh- fairly shortly after you had um, arrived with us. And um, um, I think I think it was Simon Barnaby at um, at Fidesa, yeah. and Robin Strong had invited us to the Fidesa private dining That's room, right. it was which with, of um, course was Steve G. Jones. I think the last thing I remember that night is Simon Barnaby cracking open a bottle of Twelve Year Macallan, and then it was just a blur. It was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And Katie, I think Katie Birch was there Katie as well. Birch Katie there, Birch yeah. was um, head of their uh, marketing, and um, she, I remember it was just one of those. Absolutely brilliant days. Now they had they were at Old Jewry, which is very near Bank. Um, for our readers who know London pretty well, um, so it's just off Bank. It is a really nice, um, a, a fantastic building and a very good address. Which I kind of thought to myself last night, um, just before I went to sleep. I just thought, you know, Timonos has really scored because, you know, they might actually move part of their operation over here to London and just move into the Fidesa building. And so they scored because it's like one of the nicest buildings oh, yeah. there is. Prime real estate, yeah. actually. Um, you know, Facebook has that thing where it shows you posts from five years ago or four years ago, or whatever. Right. So, um, my, actually, right. the other day, um, one of the posts that came up was a photo I took from the roof of that building, looking sort of oh, yes. towards the Bank of England. And, uh, right, and with, and with St. Paul's in the background right. in the, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. twilight. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I remember that very well. And I remember also, um, we, we got chatting about music that we were listening to when we were growing up. And, and of course, Simon Barnaby was, uh, uh, he, he'll forgive me for saying this, but, and, and also Robin Strong too. They grew up in the kind of the, the late 70s, early 80s of, um, in the UK at the time where so punk was huge, oh, yeah. new wave, and neuro, the whole yeah. new romantic kind of um, uh, music uh, movement was uh, was happening at the time. Mm. And of course, we were talking about gigs and musicians and all sorts. And we got into talking about a band called, and you can still look this up, Hazy Fantasy. Hazy Fantasy. Okay. Oh, I and know this. <laughs> Hazy Fantasy. And they, had a, they were one hit wonder, and they had a song called um, John Wayne is Big Leggy. Okay. Right. And the reason why this was of, of interest is because Oh, I've forgotten his name, but the keyboard player from Hazy Fantasy was actually the was chief a, executive of a fintech firm. It was Paul what Kaplan, was wasn't it? Paul Kaplan Software. Sorry? Was it Kaplan Software? It was. It was. That's exactly it. Yeah. It was Kaplan Software. So I've forgotten it. Anyway, he was the keyboard player of Hazy Fantasy, and I remember, I remember <laughs> seeing a top of the pops video with. With them miming, it was an appalling oh, mime. Their lip sync was absolutely atrocious. It. <laughs> it's got Paul Kaplan it's on still, a keyboard it's in the background. It's still on YouTube somewhere. It's still there. Yeah. And um, they were miming to um, John Wayne is Big Leggy. So that's one of the things <laughs> I remember. And 
That's a kind of, it's an end of an era. Fidesa is no longer, but those are my fond memories of Fidesa, and I'll remember them for a long, long time. There we go. Again, because of the point of the shame when you kind of lose that institutional heritage moving forward, but yeah. that's life, unfortunately. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Victor, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll pass back to Thanks. you. Okay. And we are back. So that was riveting conversation that, you know, you're just not going to get anywhere else. You're not going to. Not that level of detail about John Wayne and his big leggy. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I'm being honest, I still haven't listened to it, but, you know. It's, yeah, it's, that's it, good. I'm letting you peek behind the, uh, was it the third wall or the fourth wall? Yeah, yeah. A wall. I mean, that whole thing is just a little peek behind the curtain. Exactly. This is how the magic happens in Spanish <laughs> technology. So, to end up, we, you know, we always like to discuss, uh, you know, just something different, thought-provoking. Some of you like that more than the actual discussion of FinTech. And one of these days we'll film the actual production of this podcast where we sit around for at least ten minutes before going, what fun topic can we talk about? What do we do that's fun in our lives? And then just kind of well, look at each other with dead eyes for dead about eyes. ten minutes. we got nothing going on. <laughs> we we'll go to the bar, you know, and that's yeah. about it. Uh, we were going to talk about the Olympics we truly had nothing to add to it. Really Literally, haven't I haven't watched. seen a single event. Of the I've watched a bunch. I still couldn't tell you who I've been watching. Like, Chloe Kim was awesome. Uh, Sean White, I remember watching that. Yeah. Uh, Mirai, I can't remember her last name, the figure skater. I was hoping that she'd land a triple axel. Outside of that, I really had nothing. I don't sound like a, it's not even that I hate it. I just have no interest. Like, for some the curling, I do like it. And everybody, I've actually gone curling several times. You've gone curling. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's actually people like, because one of the... Look at this, we're talking about Olympics there. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Uh, yeah. You have to, the the brushing, the brooming of the ice, which, um, you know, it's friction creates a, a wetter surface. Yeah. I don't know. Allows it to slide. Exactly. Um, that is exhausting. I get knackered just looking at it, man. Yeah. I like watch those guys go at it. Just, yeah, yeah hammer it and is. It's sort of... really surprising uh, how, you know, it just it takes it out of you. So I understand why that one guy, you know, was busted for steroids. It's like, yeah, hey, listen, anybody, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's what I, I always say. I've got utmost respect for I've tried to ice skate. Uh, <laughs> imagining me walking, let alone ice skating. And my, yeah. my wife is graceful on the ice, has had her own skates since the age of like three or something. I put them on and fell flat on my face straight away. So, I mean, you're British, like we said. How these guys know, manage to do that stuff yeah. they do, I don't know. So, yeah, and I'm British, yes, we don't have ice in England. So, that's a, <laughs> it's a recent invention. So, you know, we're, as we're trying to go through topics, uh, I'd recently read a profile of Jimmy Kimmel in GQ. And there's this age old debate, you know, whether or not, you know, how much, how much politics do you want out of your late night television hosts? You know, if you go back, you know, there was always, you know, I, I love late night. Uh, I, I grew up on late night. You know, Johnny Carson was amazing. I was watching David Letterman back before, you know, he was he, when he was uh, the, the B-side. And, you know, it, it, there really has been a change since The Daily Show came along uh, with Jon Stewart of these late night hosts they saw how effective John Stewart came at shaping the national discussion. John Stewart's the British guy, right? Or John Stewart? No, he's an American. Uh, I'm thinking of John Oliver. Sorry, that's yeah, right. John yeah, John Oliver. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, this was The Daily Show. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you got that in London or it, Well, this is such a uniquely American thing. We don't really have late night talk shows in the UK. We only yeah. have like news shows at like Panorama and Newsnight and that kind of thing. But yeah. we don't have hosts who just like Jay Leno and stuff who discuss. Well, we the took John Oliver from you, yeah. and who does. A crazy good job on HBO, mm-hmm. and we took uh, James Corden, who I know he does a late night karaoke thing. I have no idea. I've never watched his show ever. I interviewed James Corden once when he is uh, debuting his masterpiece film, Lesbian Vampire Killers, which uh, did do very well. But now he's a major superstar, apparently. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, and here you are on a podcast with me. With you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the funny thing is, like, 
you know, Kona Bryant, so you had, you know, uh, uh, Carson, and then you had Leno and Letterman, and then through that you kind of had Conan O'Brien, and mm-hmm. they were all cut from the same cloth. They all Letterman, had their different kind of styles. Big, he was kind but, of the, Letterman was the kind of the... Uh, he had gravitas. He's the one that everybody respected. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he, he just didn't care. You know, he didn't... You know, Jay Leno was... Jay Leno, who was one of the great comedians, actual stand-up comedians, still does stand-up to this day, when he would go in front of a crowd, he kept everything safe and cookie-cutter. Right. You know, he would never try and do a risque joke or anything like that. Um, but it's also what what helped him to get to the ratings lead, as opposed to Letterman, who was just kind of doing his own thing, and either you liked it or you didn't. And yeah. he really just didn't care, it seemed like, even though I'm sure he did. And Conan came along. He followed that same, you know, uh, style, you know, trying to make his own little thing more toward the Letterman, uh, skewing more toward Letterman. And then now we're seeing, you know, you saw Jimmy Fallon when he tussled Donald Trump's hair. He was number one in the ratings. They were killing it. Mm-hmm. That happened. Everybody turned him off. Like yeah. he just immediately went away. Stephen Colbert, meanwhile, coming from uh, Comedy Central uh, and the Colbert Report, he kind of stepped into the front as I will talk about politics. And Jimmy Kimmel's been doing it a lot as well. So always wait for Kimmel, right? Because I remember Kimmel back in the day was more about kind of the music and celebrities and yeah. that kind of thing. Well, and now he was on the Men Show. You know, it's like you, yeah. you you wouldn't expect him to become this. Voice, voice of, of the left or whatever yeah. it is, sort of, yeah. And so it is an interesting thing. So, like, we talk about politics. Why the hell would anybody care about what we have to say? Mm. And for me, one of the things is when I would go to The Daily Show, and now with Trevor Noah, I love Trevor Noah, he's a great comedian himself. Um, I know what I'm getting, I know what I'm walking into, yeah. and I'm signing up for that. Let's do this. You know, John Oliver, I know I'm not gonna get, you know, just ham handed jokes, he's gonna do a deep dive, cutting report and he's going to mix in comedy on it. Uh, Daily Show to an extent does the same thing. It's funny the reason why I I don't necessarily because there is just so much politics Mm -hmm. and that's why we try not to talk too much politics on this on this you know because again sometimes we just like to voice our your own voices but it really is I, I as somebody that used to watch all the time late night shows I don't watch very much anymore just because it does kind of feel like I don't want to have to get in I, I don't know I, and I understand this is just me but that's just me yeah. turn off and I'm not saying that these late night shows shouldn't do it no I'm just saying for me it's turned me off I don't mind a little bit of politics with it. it's just you know when you start getting ones that are so very very slanted like uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B and things like oh, that which yeah. is like so clearly sort of you know biased in terms of what it's doing and even you know Kimmel and, and John Oliver, like at least John Oliver has a, an element of journalism to it, I would say, like oh, yeah. more so than sort of uh, some of the other guys. But I just, I just find this really weird, uniquely American thing where you have kind of these talking heads explaining you know, this need for people to explain things to you and sort of like explain the news to you and, and put their slants on it. Whereas, like for me, it's always been a case of okay, well, you take each view and then you draw your own view from it. It's yeah. a very, very uniquely American thing that someone kind of preach that view to you whether they're on the left or the right or well that's what's you know, always sort of, driven me nuts about too was yeah. even with John Oliver like you come in like you watch the Daily Show and then the next day you'd come in and you'd have people talking and be like oh have you seen this not mentioning um, or not John Oliver uh, uh, John Stewart mm. not mentioning you know the Daily Show and John Stewart just being like, like they read about this and somehow they have the same exact talking points that John Stewart had yeah. it's like when that's driving the national discussion it's like 
I'm sorry, that doesn't do it for me. Jimmy Kimmel on healthcare, and so he's got firsthand experience with this kid. You know, had yeah. a very serious hole in his heart. I, once that stuff starts driving national debate, I, I don't know. It, it just I I I think that people are being lazy in how they acquire information. They want a late night show person to tell them just the same way that Fox News tells their audience what they should think, what they should view. Or they want a two-minute rant they can share on Facebook and look at a little clip or something with exactly. two bars on either side, and then so-and-so socks it to Trump beneath or something like that. You know, and because it's, it's show business, because it makes you laugh, sometimes it'll make you well up and cry, yeah. it works perfectly as a medium for disseminating that information. Yeah. But this is how all good propaganda works, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's like, instead, what you should be doing is taking in a little bit from the right, taking a little bit from the, from reputable news outlets, not from the talk shows, not from the cable news networks, because this is no different than what Fox News does. Yeah. And that's where I start to have problems. I don't like, I never watch Fox News, mm. um, except when my parents' house, because that's just what's on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but, and that's where I think that I have the greatest problem. Again, I'm not saying that, it, your audience will decide. If there are still more people tuning in and the revenue dollars are good, then keep it up. Yeah. If you find that a lot of people are tuning out, like, and this isn't also, because I can hear it in my voice right now, that this also isn't like the kneeling during the national anthem. These idiots that stop watching football because some guys go and kneel during the national anthem, you are the biggest moron I've ever heard. Like, yeah. that is just as dumb as it gets right there. You know, you're going to miss out on a sport that you love. Because during a national anthem, some guys take their First Amendment right, and you say you love the Constitution. So it's like it blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. But so it's not that. But I, I I wonder how many people are like me that where late night used to be, we'd all watch you know either Letterman or Leno before that Carson. I wonder how that's gonna how that's going to change for this younger generation. Is this what they want? Is this what the late night will be? And I'm the dinosaur that goes away? We had Dan Schleifer here in this chair a couple of weeks ago talking about how he had to um, take himself off politics, essentially, because there was too much going on. And I find that's a unique thing for people of our kind of age, like some of the 30s, and yeah. who are politically relatively moderate, I guess, in comparison to the modern kind of like schism through the two educated, like, learned people who, you know, have an opinion on stuff. The young generation almost sort of, like, thrives on getting these things through, and the old generation is very stuck in their ways anyway, and they think yeah. about politics a lot more. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see what this is actually doing to the psyche of the younger generation who are coming up and who are watching this and who don't necessarily have the grounding that maybe, I guess, we had in our generation where you can discern viewpoint from uh, from gospel, I guess, yeah. is kind of what I'm saying. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you know... People rail about Hannity and they rail about Limbaugh and and uh, all these shock jocks on the rest on the right. But then, in some ways, these guys are just as bad on the left as well. Like yeah. putting these perspectives through without any ameliorative viewpoint. And it, they so. never, they they very rarely will you ever see him take aim at the left. When Obama was in power, if you're going to do this, you can do this both ways. It's very easy to, but they were just afraid to alienate their audience because lefties get their feelings get so hurt. When God forbid you start, you know, taking a couple shots at them, when, when your own because, kind starts taking shots. I mean, shots at them. especially today, how Obama's become some sort of almost sainted um, among the left, and like I was thinking, oh, like what? Yeah. This guy kind of massively expanded the use of drone strikes. He wasn't yeah. exactly a big fan of free speech and freedom of the press either, guys. You yeah. know this kind of thing, and he hated the British, and yeah. uh, 
you know, didn't close down Guantanamo. He's not an angel. And why are you having this narrative now where he everyone's like, I miss you, Mr. President, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's on Kimmel doing the other day, actually. He's like, I miss the Obamas. Yeah. No? Why? He was a lame duck president. Like, you know, <laughs> so like, you know, I mean, I like the guy, but personally, I find him, like, charismatic and charming, and then I've met him. But, you know... Um, but Well, you're not the kind that to sainthood a politician. Because a politician no. has to... And that's the thing is, no matter what politician they are, you're going to find some bad shit that they do or, or just stuff they ways that they're hypocritical. Yeah. You can find that on the left. They never choose to because that will alienate their base audience. And their base audience gets really touchy about that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, kind of a big problem I have is is I don't mind, you know, taking shots and doing that. Like, Bill Maher is great. Bill Maher will take his cannon and point it at whoever he feels is being a hypocritical asshole. Yeah. That's what makes him wonderful if you like that kind of thing. These other shows, they're just pe- preaching to a choir, yeah. and it's, it's also why has it the right ever been able to figure this out? That you know, rather than having these idiots, Ted Nugent, Scott Bayo, whoever else it is that they yeah. choose to be their funny men, you know, go, Dennis Miller was at least an intelligent individual that you could throw <laughs> out there and try and do. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I guess that it, it's the interesting thing is I think that this is where you see people getting lazy. And how they consume information when they want that out of their yeah. late night host, and they but only as want as long as it agrees with them, as long as they agree with what they're saying, mm-hmm. absolutely. And they don't want to hear, and they don't want. And then you stop reading, you stop, you stop actually taking, and you're just like, okay, what are the talking points that I'll need? Just the same way again as mm-hmm. the right with Fox News. What are my talking points? Got it. Good. I'm ready to have a discussion now. Let's go do this. That lines up with what I believe. So cool. Let's just do yeah. that. Yeah. It's like this morning I read the Washington, uh, the the couple stories in the Washington Post and the New York Times, and I also read the National Review and mm. the Financial Times. You know, getting a couple different. You know, I, but I feel it's a responsibility to kind of pull in that information. Well, any responsible adult does, I think. I mean, he's not sort of you know brainwashed by uh, by instant gratification the way that. Most people, even people our age, actually still yeah. are. I mean, you look at how some of our colleagues consume yeah. media who are smart people and have, you know, advanced degrees in quite complex subjects, but still almost willingly just have the echo chamber. And yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And so with the late nights, like I would, I would like to have some jokes and but both sides. Otherwise, I'm gonna go find out. I'll go search out John Oliver. I'll Ooh. go search out Bill Maher. I'll go search those out, and that's fine. Late night. If I'm if I'm gonna walk into a, a you know a, a discussion on some you know let's say gun debates or abortion or um, labor strife or whatever it is, I don't know. I, I've already had enough of it all day. I, yeah. I've been reading about it. I know about it. You hear about I'm it from good. your friends and your colleagues and your yeah. family and just like I don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. Like, you know, I dread sometimes going to the dinner table at Sunday because I know I'm gonna to have to talk about politics. So <laughs> I managed to avoid it all week. And I'm just I'm sick of it. You know? it's like, yeah. So the last thing I do is turn on the TV at 10 o'clock and have, like, you know, God, like, Jimmy Kimmel just preaching at me, like, yeah. fuck off, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we stand as we talk about politics and rant on about this. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. On preaching a fintech podcast, yeah. nonetheless. <laughs> we do understand the, the hypocrisy there, but that's what we're here for. We at least point it out. At least we understand, we just don't care. Yeah, so, okay. so. <laughs> Next week we'll have something more fun to talk about. Hopefully, God, there's nothing really going on. Nothing. This is the dark time of the year, isn't it? It really is. Baseball's starting, but that's still a while away. Astros play actually right about now. They're going to be first pitch. Yeah, it's 1 o'clock. All right, anyway, we'll be back next week, as always. Hopefully we'll have better topics to talk about on the fun side, but hopefully you enjoyed the uh, Temenos-Fidesa merger crazy 
world that we live in right now. If you have some thoughts on that, James and I are always have our phones and emails open. At least our emails. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next week. See you later.